Guys, grab a hold of a Bible, if you would, and join us this morning. We're going to be in the book of 1 John. On Sunday mornings, we are working verse by verse through the letter of 1 John, and we're excited to be sharing it with you this morning. We hope you brought a Bible, and you're turning there now. If you didn't, there are Bibles in front of you, and the chairs in front of you, page number there on, on the screen so you can get there rapidly. If you want to use an electronic device, that's fine too. One way or another, we want you to have the Word of God in front of you, believing that what you need this morning is to hear from God. And believing in the power of his word to do that, we just want to invite you to have the Bible open before you. That's true for all of you here in the sanctuary, but if you're on our overflow or you're joining us online, please hear the same invitation. Grab a Bible and be there with us. Open it up so that this morning God would speak to you through his word and he would make that known to you. It is really what we need, and so before we even begin, let's take a moment and pray. I'm going to open in prayer, but I hope you would pray as well. Let's ask that God would speak to us through his word. Again, I'm leading, but I'm hoping you're quietly praying as well, asking God to speak to you. Father, thank you right now for this moment, and thank you that you're faithfully working in this moment. God, we hold before you the power of your word. I think of how you describe it there in Hebrews, that you says that it's alive, that it's powerful, that your word is like a sharp two-edged sword that pierces down into the core of who we are that does this internal surgery, transforming us and changing us. I'm so glad that's the way that you work, and yet right now desire it. God, cause us to be those who are hearing, that we'd hear you this morning, that we'd hear your word this morning, that through, through your word you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit, so that though we're together and studying the same passage, I pray you give us understanding of it, but in the midst of it, Make it real, personal, so that in this room, it's even just very specifically being applied in different spaces. You're capable of doing that. I love that you do that. Do that now. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning, what your spirit is saying to the church. God, I ask for that for me and for each of us now as we surrender this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Christian, I want to hold to you two possibilities, two possibilities that you will for sure experience one of these. Will you be either confident or will you be ashamed? Yeah, hear me clearly. Yeah, this is true for all Christians. It's going to be one of those. Oh, when are we talking about, Pastor Jim? Well, at the coming of Christ. At the coming of Christ, the question is, which will you be, confident or ashamed? Yeah, that's exactly what we get to talk about this morning. In fact, why don't you notice it there in verse 28? It begins there this way. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Wow. Well, that's what we need to talk about this morning. We need to talk about what it is, but before we see that, please notice how it begins, where it says, and now, little children, abide in him. Yeah, abiding in Jesus, that's what we need to hear. That's what's going to be held out to us this morning by the word of God and through John. And yet, as he's speaking it to us, I want to remind you that this isn't just John just sharing this. He's echoing what Jesus spoke. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he invited his people, invited you and I, 
to where he said, abide in me and I in you. I am the vine. You are the branches. He invites us into this connected relationship, into an amazing relationship that is, again, pictured by this idea of abiding in him. And that's what we get to talk about this morning. That's what we get to see and seek to wrap our minds around and understand. But before we dive into this specific section, I need to pause for a moment and set it in its context because, well, this is what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, the last two studies before this one. There's a section right here where that word abide is used seven times. Seven times he calls us to abide and he pictures what the abiding relationship is. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you might remember that we began this and I told you then that I was really struggling because there was a big piece of me that wanted to cover all of this in one study. They wanted to say all that was in this section there because in so many ways it flows so well together. And I'm grateful that God led us this way, and we've now spent, this will be our third week in this section, but the danger of that is there really is a flow of context. There really is something that's been building to this moment, and again, my struggle is I want to say everything I've already said. I can't do that, but I can quickly give you a quick overview with, again, an invitation that if you've missed some of these things, uh, you might want to go back and see them. So in this section where abiding really is the focus, the first time that word abide is used in this section was back in verse 19 where John just reminded us and let us know that those who are not really Christians, who are faking it in many ways and don't have a real relationship with Jesus, they don't abide. Real Christians don't abide. Now, John said that, but Jesus said much the same. When he was sharing this and the whole idea of abiding, he said it this way in John 15, He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. He says, those who don't abide, that are not in this abiding relationship, this is what's coming, this gathering, this throwing into the fire that pictures judgment and very certainly hell beyond that, a horrendous picture in many ways, but a picture of those who don't have this. That's a scary space, and again, the call that to have this abiding relationship with Jesus, but again, here's the deal. Without a real relationship with Jesus, you can't, and you won't abide. So can I turn it around and just make it applicational for a moment? Here's the deal. You need to have a real relationship with Jesus. You need to have a real relationship with Jesus because not anything else we're going to say in this section works if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It isn't just something that you can go, okay, now what do I need to do? Just give me, you know, four things to work on or something like that. Without a genuine and authentic relationship with Jesus, abiding will never happen. And so I'm pleading with you now. Maybe you're here and you're not in a relationship with Jesus. Then please hear me clearly. You can't have anything else we're going to talk about this morning. You can't have anything else that's going to be there without first having a relationship with Jesus. He really is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father any other way. And so if you're outside of a relationship with Him, then you need to be saved. You need to be connected to Him so that you can abide in Him. Without the connection, you can't enjoy that. And so we plead with you today, hey, it needs to begin there. But let's say you're in him, and many of you are. So how do we do this? How do we have an abiding relationship? Well, he began unpacking it for us and told us one of the key factors was going to be the power of the Word of God, where he said, if you abide in this, if you're a person who allows the Word of God to be shaping your life consistently, even daily, it's going to be one of the key factors in keeping you into an abiding relationship with Jesus. 
Now, again, Jesus said the same thing that night when he was sharing it. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Keeping his word, keeping his commandments facilitates, draws us into a place of an abiding relationship with Jesus. And there's no way to have that relationship outside of that. So if you're wanting to have an abiding relationship with Jesus, I just want to appeal to you again. Hey, this book is what you need. It's one of the, the things that we need it, not so we can just check a, a check mark off it that I read my Bible, but through it to seek to have an abiding relationship with Jesus, because that's what this is doing. But then last week we saw that not only do we need just the power of the Word of God in our life, we need the work of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus gave us the Spirit who would both teach us out of the Word of God, but also protect us from the things that would leave us, lead us astray. When Jesus was sharing it there in John 14, He said, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He says, I'm going to give you this, and if you're a follower of Jesus, He is with you, He's abiding with you, and you need it so that He can grow you in truth, both educating, but we saw last week protecting, protecting us from error in a world that is so filled with lies, uh, in the midst of a place where the devil is the liar and working, we desperately need just the work of the Spirit of God, and that's key and having an abiding relationship with Jesus. Now, if you do those things, if you have a genuine relationship with Jesus, and you're in the Word, and the Spirit of God's at work in you, then you're going to have this abiding relationship with Him, and He says, then you're going to be unashamed. Then you're going to be unashamed when we see Jesus, and that is really good news. So let's come back to it, and just try to say it one more time before we get to where we are this morning. You have to have a real relationship, It has to begin there. It has to be real in your life or you'll never have that. And if you have a real relationship, then you need to be in the word of God because that'll bring you into this abiding relationship with Jesus. In fact, he tells us it would be that that would give us life, eternal life. You might just notice it in verse 25. He says, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life, abundant life, real this, this vibrant life, and it happens in this abiding relationship with Jesus, that we're drawn into a place that is life, lived the way it's supposed to live. But with that, he offered us the Spirit, who would not only bring us into this abundant life, but a protected life. Again, keeping us from error, keeping us away from those things which would deceive us. As it says in verse 26, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you concerning that which would seek to leave you astray. And he says, hey, you have the Holy Spirit who would give you a protected life. And if that's happening, if you're having this abundant life in Christ, you're enjoying this relationship with him and you're being protected from that which would steal you away from Christ, he says, then you're gonna have a fruitful life. Then you're gonna have a life that is in this sense what we wanna talk about this morning, which is this place that would be fruitful and unashamed, which is exactly what we desperately want to have. Okay, so that's where we've been. That's where we've been over the last couple weeks. That's just a quick reminder, all of it key, bringing us into this moment, but bring us into a space that we want to think about this relationship and this idea, again, of being fruitful. Well, I want to unpack it in a couple of ways. So first of all, understand this, having this abiding relationship with Jesus really empowers righteousness. Let's go back and read it, uh, the whole two verses that we're covering this morning so you can see it. He says it there in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And kind of applying that, he says it this way. If you know 
that he is righteous. You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If we're with him, if we have a relationship that's walking with Jesus, then we're going to be more and more like him, that we're going to have a life that is being transformed by him, and that will prove itself out in the way that we live. Now, this is an important point. In fact, if you've been with us in the study of 1 John, you might recognize this has been a very key theme and will continue to be so, that he'll continue to come back to this over and over and highlight the the reality that someone who's really a follower of Jesus has to be having a life that is being transformed by Jesus. In fact, you might just want to see it. So go back with me, go back to chapter 1 to verse 5 there so you get to see a little bit of this. Gives it to us this way. This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now fast forward over to chapter 2. There he gives it in verse 3. He says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. So you catch all of that, and again, it gets down to verse 29. It says, now, again, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. That there's a key fact that John is just echoing over and over. That one of the things he was dealing with in that space that still needs to be dealt with in this time in history is there are people who will say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but their life is completely outside of it. I mean, the way they live, what they do, it doesn't look anything like what Jesus lives and, and doesn't, is, isn't in any way being transformed. And what John is saying is that can't be true. It cannot be true that you have a, a relationship with Jesus and you're not being changed. There, there must be something that's broken in that. And so he's appealing for a genuine and real relationship with Jesus, which again, I appeal for here as well. Now, with that, I want to say not only do we want to, again, highlight the need for a very genuine relationship with Jesus, but part of why we can say that here is because of what abiding in Jesus does. See, abiding in Jesus or walking in the Spirit, which is another way of saying the same thing, this relationship that is meant to be this continuous relationship with God, it is what empowers righteousness. It's what empowers us so that we can really overcome the propensity we have to sin. See, I think about it this way. In Galatians 5, Paul says it so well. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says, you want to do this where you don't give in to your flesh, where you don't do the things that you shouldn't do? We're all in that battle. We all have this battle with our flesh. But he says, here's the way to overcome. Walk in the Spirit. Abide in Christ. Both of these things picture this moment by moment, just trust and relationship with Jesus. A place that we can't do it without him. That we would recognize, hey, I need you. I need your help. It's the only way to do this. It's the only way to overcome. It is this genuine connection to Christ that allows us and, and brings us into this life. Now, 
if you were here last week, that's kind of where we ended our study. We were talking about this, and I was appealing to you even practically, and I reminded you then that in the bookmark that we've given you guys, on the back side of it, we put the Lord's Prayer. And one of the reasons we did that is it's just a good example to pray. You don't have to use it, but it's a good example if you're looking for it, not just repeating it word by word, but subject by subject. And if you did that, even daily, you would come to the end of the prayer and you would be looking ahead and saying, God, I need your help. Lead me not into temptation. Like, I need your help or I'm going to break it. Like, I, I'm not good enough. I can't do this on my own. I need to walk in the Spirit so I overcome the flesh. I need you. I need that. Not only do I need this rescue from me, but we have an enemy. Uh, we have an enemy who is working in our world, who is the Spirit working among the sons of disobedience. Deliver us from the evil one. We need this rescue. And so we really brought our message to a close last week, just picturing this, and we closed with a song that we just sung a moment ago, just thinking about how he holds us fast. And I drew your attention to the picture and said, hey, in one sense, part of this is to begin to lean into that, to be like this little child that just reaches up and says, I need help. Dad, I need to grab a hold of your hand. Holy Spirit, I need you because it's the only way that I'm not going to mess today up. And that's just simply true. So part of that's being pictured for us here, that in this abiding relationship with Jesus, it empowers righteousness, it empowers us to overcome those things which would be our undoing. But that's only one side of it. That's only one side of it. It doesn't just help us. I mean, righteousness isn't just not doing wrong. Righteousness is doing right. It's doing the right things. Or I'm going to use a different term for us this morning. It's a term that Jesus used for it there in John 15, which is fruitfulness or bearing fruit. The abiding in Christ, what it does, what it, what it can work inside of our lives, is it can make us fruitful. It can help us be the ones who walk in that. Wow. Here's what I need you to understand. Abiding in Christ, that's the only way that can happen. Abiding in Christ is the absolute only way that we can actually be fruitful. Jesus said it this way in John 15, again in that section where he's explaining this to us, where he says, abide in me and I in you, is the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. If I can make this clear, if I can say this most profound reality simply, I just want to tell you there's a devastating reality in this and a glorious reality in this. The devastating reality is to really come to believe how inept you are spiritually. That without Jesus, you cannot do anything good. That's hard to wrap your mind around. Let's just be clear. For some of us, you, you, you just don't think about it that way. I mean, you still fall into some of those lies where you're like, you know, I, I try to be a good person. I try to do good and I try to be good. And, you know, I'm not really bad in that sense, but the Bible's really clear. Your sin so permeates your life that or even your good works, Isaiah would tell us, are like filthy rags. That your sinful nature so covers everything that outside of Jesus, you are in, unable to do anything that is good. Nothing that you ever have done, are doing, or will do outside of an abiding relationship with Jesus is good. It's not. It's tainted. It's tainted by sin. 
tainted by that work, and that's just a devastating reality. It's, a, it's one that cuts us really to the heart, that brings us to the end of ourself, where we would say, I know that in myself nothing good can come, as Paul would say. I, I know. I know where I am. I know what I am. It's a good reality to believe. It's a hard reality. It's a devastating reality, but it's also a glorious reality. Because he's not just telling you what's impossible, he's telling you what's possible. He's telling you with a relationship with Jesus, you, not just somebody else, you can be fruitful. Where he says, if you abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. But if you will, as he goes on in the next verse and says it, I am the vine. And you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him. You will bear much fruit, but without me, he says, you can do nothing. Oh, that God would help you to believe this. Oh, that somehow my words could penetrate past just the surface of your understanding to bring you to a place that you would look upon what we're talking about this morning, not as just a nicety or an extra or a bonus, But to come to the end of yourself and say, you know, without Jesus, I can't do anything. Without Him. If I'm not abiding, it's not working. If I'm not holding Him and walking in a relationship with Him, nothing I do really is eternal. It's temporal, it's passing, it's empty, because I can only do this in Him. I can only have that fruit in Him. It's the only way that it can happen, and yet to believe that it can happen is glorious. To come to a place where we recognize that it can happen for you and me, that we can have this abiding relationship with Jesus, and we can be fruitful. So let's ask a different question. What do we mean fruitful? What do I mean fruitful? Well, it might be an oversimplification, but let's just say it this way. When the Bible talks about fruit, it is talking both about your character and about your good works. When the Bible talks about fruit, it's, it's both character, but also what good things you can do. So I think about it in that place in, in Galatians that we were just talking about, where it says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he goes on to say in that, it says, you know, for each one of us have this battle inside of us so that it keeps us from being the kind of person that we want to be because, you know, the flesh is at war with against the spirit and the spirit is against the flesh. But he says, here's what you need to do. He says, you know, you need to do this walk in the spirit because the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and he gives us a list. But then he says, but the fruit of the spirit is, and he gives us a list. I just give it to you briefly as much more profound thought than we have time to go into, but it's worth just quickly noticing not only are we looking at a list of bad things and a list of good things, but even the way they happen are very different. For the flesh, it's works. It's what you're doing. It's what you're producing. It flows out of there, and it is work. But fruit, it it, it is that which is an overflow. It is that that happens naturally, dynamically, in a real life-giving way. It's not something you produce. It's something that's happening because of the relationship you have with Him. Wow, really, really good news. Think of just lots there, but I'll leave it for you to think about. Let's go back to the list. So he said, the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and he gives us a list of the kind of things that your flesh does. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, 
murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Like everything else that kind of falls into this category. This is what your flesh does. All the ugly things in our life, it comes out of this. But let's just even make sure we're being clear. Even the good things, quote-unquote, that you do outside of Christ, they're this. Every, quote, good thing you do outside of Christ is tainted by jealousy, selfish ambition, hatred, uh, envy. Those things kind of permeate so that even what we do is, is messed up because of the flesh. And, and it's partly what makes it bad, but that's what our flesh does. In contrast, if we walk in the Spirit, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wow. It's a good list. It's a good list. And I just want you to see it. He says, this is what the Spirit of God would do in you. This is what walking in the Spirit does. Or again, using the synonymous term, this is what abiding in Christ does. This would be good fruit. And it's good to notice this because sometimes when we talk about bearing fruit, we think about just doing things. And it does include that. We'll talk about that in a moment, like sharing the gospel or seeing people saved or, you know, being a part of different things. And it is that. But one of the amazing things is to realize the fruit that's going to last for eternity, some of it is just being. Being loving, being joyful, being this person with peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, good goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that when that's happening in our lives, it's this place that God is doing something that remains, and it is fruit, and is that which he's seeking to do in you, but you can't have this list on your own. This isn't a list that you can say, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to try really hard to be patient, and I'm going to really work on joy, and I'm going to really work on, it just doesn't, it does, it, your flesh can't produce this but abiding in Christ. Walking in the Spirit, this is what it will do. This is what it happens when you have an abiding relationship with Jesus, when you're walking in the Spirit, He begins to give you a godly character that is transformative and good, and it's incredibly glorious and real. So some of fruitfulness is character, but it's not limited there, obviously. It does also include good works. One of my favorite verses that speak about it is Ephesians 2.10, where he says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wow. We're not saved by good works. That's what he just said. For, you know, for we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Good works don't save anybody. But if you are a follower of Jesus, he has saved you for good works. I just want you to think about it. Notice how he says it. You're created in Christ Jesus for it. You're created so that this would happen in you. You're created so that your life could be about things that are eternal, like you're made for this. And he's not only made you for this, he's preparing it before you. He's creating spaces and opportunities so your life could be a part of it. That's good news, but that draws us back to this reality that fruitfulness is this, that fruitfulness is what he's seeking to do in our life, that it comes out of a connected life with Jesus that brings about fruitfulness. Now, hear me clearly. Christian, this is possible for you. This is what God wants in you because he's holding it out. Yes, it's a devastating reality to realize you can't do anything of yourself. It's a good one, but it'll bring you to the end of yourself, and it needs to. 
But then to recognize that he can do good through your life is amazing. And actually, it's exactly what God is seeking to do right now. I can absolutely promise you that God is seeking to make you fruitful. In fact, that's part of the whole section. We go back to John 15, where uh, really was the whole subject matter that it's being referred to here in 1 John. And Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father, he is the vine dresser. He says, I'm the vine, and guess what? My Father is tending the vine. My Father, God the Father is at work in this, doing everything that's needed to make that vine fruitful. And then he gives us an example of things that he does. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Okay, we need to pause just for a moment. And this is a little bit of a theological debate among Bible students, so I'm just going to give it to you and say there's good uh, just you know, thoughts on both sides of it. Some Bible students look at this and think that what Jesus is saying here is what he's going to say in just a few verses later that we just read a moment ago where he says, every branch that doesn't abide in me, my father gathers up like sticks and they get thrown into the fire. Some feel like that's what he's saying as well, that if, if someone's not bearing fruit, he's taken away. And they picture that into the same kind of reality. And it's a, an eternal judgment. It might be. And again, the wording is not as precise as maybe we would like it. And so if you land there, that's fine. But I would quickly just appeal to you, there's another way to read this, because the other is true. I mean, we already talked about it. I mean, if you're not abiding in Jesus, it's, it's kind of being gathered up as sticks, thrown into the fire. That's true. We don't doubt that. But this is someone that actually is abiding. In that one, he says, if that person doesn't abide, they're going to be gathered up as sticks. This one is in him. It's just not bearing fruit. You have someone who's in him and is not fruit-bearing, and it says he's the one that takes away. Or the Greek translation of that word could mean he lifts up, and I like that personally a little bit better. It has the idea that God the Father would look at you right now, and if you're in him and you're not bearing fruit, he's like, get up out of the dirt. Like, I'm doing everything I can to, to rescue your life from wasting your life, and I would put to you, I think that's a good truth of what God would do. So if you're here this morning and you're not bearing fruit, God's not satisfied with that. He's not like, well, that's fine. He's like, no, I'm, I'm doing everything to pull you up out of the dirt, to make your vine thrive, to get you into a place that you would be a fruit-bearing part of the vine. I think that's true, and it's worth knowing. I think he's pursuing it. Add to that, as Jesus goes on, he says, in every branch that bears fruit, he, that is God the Father, prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So if you're bearing fruit, which is a good thing, he says, even there he's not content. Even there he's like, I want to make you more fruitful. I'm pruning you. I'm trimming off things in your life. I'm doing things that would make you so that though you have fruit, I want more fruit from you. I want your life to be more real and more vibrant, and I want you to know the love of God more, and I want you to know his joy and his peace and his long suffering. I want more of that for you, which is incredibly glorious. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. It's kind of fun just to kind of watch the place. It's kind of no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And it's as if you could look and say, God is like, this is what I want over here. Like, if you don't have any fruit, I'm trying to fix that. But if you have fruit, well, I want to break you so you have fruit and more fruit, and I just want you to overflow. I want you to get into the place that much 
fruit is happening in your life. In fact, it'll go on to say, Jesus says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples that your life testifies of the reality of who he is because of the fruitfulness happening inside of you. And I can just 100% guarantee you, this is what God is pursuing in you. There's help in just believing this, that it tells us there in Philippians 1 that we need to believe that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, or I would put it to you this way. God has not given up on any one of you. There's not anybody here. Now, some of you have given up on yourself. It's like, man, I tried. I tried to really be a good Christian, and I tried, you know, serving, and I tried to, and I just messed it up, and yeah, you might have. It might have been the works of your flesh, but God has not given up on you. God has not, he's like, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to be fruitful. I want to work inside of you, but what you need to come to the realization of is how much you need Jesus that you can't do anything without him that matters. There's not anything that you could do outside of a connected and vibrant relationship with Jesus that would ever be that in your life. And again, it's an incredible reality, one that is wonderful to realize that this is what he's seeking to produce, is to make you and I fruitful, to cause this abiding relationship in Christ, to cause it to be where we really do shine that. Okay, we want to talk about where that's going to go, especially where it's being highlighted in our text. But before we do that, can I just rabbit trail for a moment, and I'll come right back. But I just thought it might be fun just to kind of think about this as we think about this relationship that God has for us. See, some of you know, but yesterday was 27 years. Yesterday was 27 years. 27 years ago yesterday, we had our very first Sunday morning service here in Roswell, over here at the Ramada, and a lot of fun just to think about. That's crazy, think about 27 years, but how amazing God is to work in this. Why do I draw your attention to this here and now? Well, in the midst of that, when we first planted and we first thought about planting a Calvary Chapel here in, in Roswell, we kind of came up with a, a church verse. I don't know if that really is always definitive, if people have life verses, but a verse that we thought, hey, this is what we want. And it pictures the same thing we're talking about this morning. It uses a slightly different illustration, but the point is the same. The point is the same. It's there in Jeremiah 17, where he says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when, when, when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. See, we wanted to make a statement of that from the very beginning, that we believe what I'm trying to tell you this morning, and so we actually came up with the logo for the church, which is this tree. That's ours. Uh, you know, a lot of Calvary chapels have a dove, and so we stuck the dove in the middle of it, but, but we just felt like, you know, we wanted to state from the beginning is the only way we'd ever last, and it would be an abiding relationship, and the only way we'd ever see fruit is that, and I just want to tell you, we believe that. 27 years later, we can say, hey, to the extent that we've lasted and there's been fruit, it's only been, it's been his fault, it's been because we've abided in him, and it's the only way we're ever going to see it happen. And we only want that more now than we've ever wanted it before. To say, hey, we want to be a place of people that say, hey, we can't do this. We're not trying to shine ourselves. We're not trying to, you know, rally, our, you know, a work of the flesh. We so want the fruit of the Spirit. We so want this abiding relationship with Jesus. We want it as a church, and we want it for you. So back from our rabbit trail, 
we're thinking about this idea of, of abiding. We're thinking about what this looks like in, in this incredible space. And everything right now in our text has brought us to this moment. That he's, he said, hey, we would abide in him. And, it, and we're defining a little bit of what it looks like. And he ends the chapter saying that righteousness would be being displayed by us, which is both not doing the wrong thing, is doing the right thing. But in the midst of it, he just gives us the reality that we saw a moment ago. Go back and see it with me. Verse 28. And now... Little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We need to have an abiding relationship with Jesus so that when he appears. Let's pause and just talk about that for a moment. Here's the deal. Christians actually do have different understandings at times about how the order of events are going to happen in the end times and how that all thing is going to play out. It's a good debate. I'm not against the debate. I'm personally one that believes in the rapture of the church. I think that Jesus is coming soon. That's going to take us into the tribulation. I believe all that. But we could actually be simple and say there are, there's no Bible-believing Christian who doesn't agree with the fact Jesus is coming back. And we're going to stand before him. Even if we would argue about the hows and the winds, here's what we know. We're going to stand before Jesus. He's coming back. And so going past all the kind of debates about how and when all that's going to happen, I just want to draw you to the reality. In fact, I might even highlight and say, it might be soon. I mean, we're supposed to live in light of that, right? I mean, we're supposed to live in light that Jesus could come in any day. I believe that he could come today. And it could be the events that we're seeing unfold in the world will lead very rapidly to this. There are Bible students who are kind of watching what's happening right now with Russia kind of invading Ukraine and all that's happening in there. And some of it kind of just begins to kind of like, well, this kind of looks like Ezekiel kind of could be happening here. I mean, kind of looks like things that God said might happen. And again, I'm not saying it is. It might not. I mean, God might be gracious and give us more time or we might see the dominoes fall very quickly. And it could happen so quickly. And in a moment, We'll be standing before Jesus. That's the reality you're supposed to live with. We're supposed to be with this expectation that Jesus is coming back, and he could come back really soon. But what John wants you to say is, okay, when that happens, when Jesus comes back, or when you pass this life and are standing before him, how are you going to stand? Are you going to stand before him confident, or are you going to stand before him ashamed? And that's a scary reality. Again, I just want to make sure you see it in the text so you know I'm not making it up. There it says, And now little children abide in him, verse 28, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. John only really holds out two, two options here, that you're going to be one of the two. You'll either be confident or you're going to be ashamed. Ashamed? Yeah, we need to think about that for a moment because that's just a scary reality right off the bat. What do you mean ashamed? What is John telling us about ashamed? Well, let me begin very clearly and say, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are going to be ashamed when Jesus comes back because you're going to see that he is the answer and you've missed it. It gives it to us this way in Philippians, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says it's going to happen. Everybody, everybody on planet earth, everybody who's, who's ever lived, they're going to recognize and confess that Jesus is Lord. Please hear me clearly. That doesn't mean they're all saved. This isn't, the kind, this isn't a salvation confession. This is an acknowledgement 
Uh, Jesus is the way. And for those who <coughs> have rejected him, who don't know him, it's going to be a shameful place. It's going to be a recognition that Jesus really was the way, the truth, and the life, and I missed it. He really is God's answer, and I'm, I don't have it. And they're going to acknowledge that, even as all the demonic demons will and Satan himself, and in the midst of that, they'll go into judgment. So here's the deal. If you don't know Jesus, that day is a terrifying day. That day is a terrifying day, and we just appeal to you again. Please don't let that be you. Today's a good day to say, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus because he's coming back and it could happen really soon. And if you're not ready, you desperately need to get ready because we could be so soon ready for this. And so we don't want that to be you. Now, though that is true, and again, I take that moment to appeal for that, I will just point out this specific text is not written to the unbeliever. It's written to Christians. See, you saw how it began, right? There in verse 28, and now little children. We'll talk about this more next week, but that's a term that's only referred to for Christians. Only Christians are children of God. He'll say in the next chapter, behold, the love of God, that now we get to be called the children of God, that because of Christ, we're brought into a relationship with him. So only Christians could really fall into this category, which highlights for us the reality that someone can be a Christian and be be ashamed. How would a Christian be ashamed? Well, just in the simple context of everything we've been seeing, a Christians will be ashamed who have been unfruitful. Christians who are genuinely Christians are going to be ashamed when Jesus comes back, when they recognize they've wasted their life. Yeah. Think about it this way. So Paul was writing about the subject, and he says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Really good place to live. Like, whether I'm living now or whether I'm standing for Jesus, I really want to please him. Like, I want him to be happy with me. I'd like to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's how I want to live my life today, and that's how I want to see him. It's a good place to want to live. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let me quickly unpack this for you, although there's a lot of stuff here. Understand this, this is not talking about what's known as the great white throne judgment of God the Father. That judgment pictured in the book of Revelation is a judgment for unbelievers, where every person who's ever lived that doesn't know Jesus is going to stand before God the Father, have all their works displayed before them, and they're going to recognize they don't know Jesus, and they're going to be cast into eternal hell. It's a terrible place, but if you know Jesus, you're not going to be there. You're not going to be judged on that day. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Like, it'll never happen. I mean, that's good stuff. But that doesn't mean you're not going to face a judgment. It's not the judgment seat of God the Father. It's the judgment seat of Christ. It's this place that we're going to stand before the judgment seat. The Greek word that's used there is bima, and so sometimes you'll hear it called the bima seat of Christ. It's a place where your life is going to be evaluated, not for condemnation, but for reward that your life is going to be evaluated for the place where Jesus can look upon you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did this for me. It's going to be a place where he's going to look for that with which can bring honor and reward and glory. At that moment, your life is going to be evaluated for what you did for him and with him. I mean, that's the reality that's there. And I hope you understand that. 
I hope as I'm saying this here this morning, there's not anybody's like, I didn't know that. Like, wait a second. I mean, I kind of was thinking I wasn't going to face the judgment. You mean I'm actually going to stand before Jesus and give it? Yes, actually you will. You're going to give an account for what you've done, good and bad. You should be aware of that. And if that doesn't scare you, I haven't done a good job sharing it. I mean, if you're like, well, I'm good. That's great. Now, if it does, I mean, Paul says it did. That's what he says. The very next verse, he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we're well known to God. Paul's like, this scares me. <laughs> he says, I know that's going to happen. And that's not necessarily always, it's like, okay, I'm going to stand there. But that's why we're trying to draw people to this real relationship with Jesus. But God knows, he says. I mean, God knows. But there is this holy, good fear that recognizes, like, that's going to be a day that I'm both looking forward to, but also it's a little bit like, okay, to have my life tested. In fact, I think about it. I like the way he gives it to us here. I'm just telling you it's coming. But I like the way he pictures it in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says it this way. He says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. I think it was back in the week that we did uh, kind of, you know, don't love the world or the things in the world because it's all passing away. And I think we referred to this then, and so I just get to remind you of it now. Here's the deal. He says, only what you've built on Christ will last. There's no other foundation. There's nothing else that's going to go into eternity. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and only what's on Jesus will last. That needs to be clear. Not everything else is going, but what's done for Jesus and by Jesus and on Jesus will last. But not everything that people do in Jesus' name really falls into that good category, because some of that can still be works of the flesh. He goes on to say it this way, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. So he pictures this, your life. He says, okay, when you're doing stuff for Jesus, you're trying to live for Jesus, he says some of it is eternal. That's the gold, the silver, the precious stones. Some of it isn't. It's this place where it's wood, hay, and straw. And he says, what's going to happen on that day day is it's going to be tested. He says, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Wow. Again, this illustration works for me. It's just my simple brain. If it helps anybody else, a lot more profound ways probably to think about it. But it just just does give me good to imagine it. You know, because I can picture it. It's as if you're you're kind of sitting there and you're thinking, okay, so I'm going to stand before Jesus. And then everything I've done. My life is going to be like, here's my life, here's what I've done. And then the fire of God is going to burn away everything that was carnal. Everything you did in your flesh, everything that was wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to sweep through. Now, that's going to be a terrifying reality. I actually still like it. I mean, I'm kind of actually excited, like, take it all away. <laughs> like, I really, I'm really glad all that's going to be burned away because I don't want the stuff that I did out of my own pride, envy, and selfishness. But everything that's go- that we did badly, it's going to be gone. And so when all that's gone, the question will be, well, what is remaining? What's remaining in that day? He says, if anyone's work which he has built on endures, he'll receive a reward. If on that day when it's tested and you're there, you'll be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You did that for me. You did that by me. That, that, was, that, was, that, that was a good work that we did together in your life. All of our good works, Isaiah would say, were done by him. And we're able to say, yeah, it is. And, and, and on that moment, we'll be those who, in John's words, will say, we have confidence. We have, we have this boldness to say, Jesus, I did this for you. Like, I live for you. I, I honored you. And, and, and that'll be a glorious moment to hear that. 
And that's what we're wanting to aim for. But Paul says, if anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Terrifying reality. Paul says there are going to be some Christians who get there. And when the fire of God passes through, they don't have anything left. They they never did anything abiding in Christ. They never really had anything that was there. Again, that's a terrifying reality. And again, it causes some to think, okay, is that person really saved or not? Well, he says, yeah, they're still saved. If they're genuinely saved, we're not saved by works. But there are some that never really grabbed onto Christ, that they really have a relationship, but to, to really abide in Christ. And so on that day, it's all gone. I mean, they're still there. I mean, they're still good to go. They're saved. And yet that it's all terrifyingly gone, which I would tell you is what John is saying here. That's going to be an embarrassing moment. That's going to be in a shameful moment to be, I wasted my life. I wasted my life on nothing. I spent my days, my years, my weeks on worldly things. I, I did everything in the flesh. And on that day, it's going to be clear. And I would put to you, that's a shameful moment. I mean, you're still going to be saved. And, and that's a good thing. But if you could see it, who would ever aim for this? I mean, I, I realize that some people are like, well, Jim, you know, don't, don't give people too much leeway here. We don't want to encourage anybody that they can be saved and not have good works, you know. But who would really want to do that? I mean, who would like, I'm just trying to squeak in with as little things as I could possibly do. Like, I just want to get there and it'd be great. No, I just want to tell you, if you could see it, you'd be like, why would I do that? Why would I waste my life? Why would I want to have nothing? standing on that day before Jesus. I don't want that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to go there. So how do I do that? Well, that's what John's telling us. He says, if you will abide in him, if you'll abide in him, then he will work this righteousness inside of you and you will not be ashamed. Go back and read it with me again. He says, and now little children, abide in him. Like, you need to stick with Jesus, like abide in a relationship with him, that when he appears. We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteous is born of him. He says, here's what I want. I want you to be confident. I want you to have this glorious confidence. I do not want you to be ashamed. Can I just echo it and say, that's what I want for you? I don't want that for anybody here. I don't want anybody to be ashamed. And that's what we get to speak of right now and get to invite you into this and say, hey, this is what we want for you. We're not talking about your past. In fact, let's just just own it right now. Maybe you need to ask God for forgiveness of the days that you've wasted. You know, you need to do what 1 John says, confess your sins before God and say, God, forgive me. I've wasted my days. I've wasted some time. Yeah, you probably have. But we still have time. Jesus is not back here yet. The idea is right now is like, I want this. I don't want to be ashamed. So how do you do that? That's the abiding relationship with Jesus. He says, if you abide in him, then you will be unashamed on the day that Jesus returns. But in many ways, this is the product. This is what that produces. And this is what makes just doing this message today all by itself without saying the previous ones, maybe a little bit challenging. So can we take just a moment and put this back into the context of what we've seen? See, We've seen in this section that God is inviting us into an abiding relationship with Jesus, and it began with that reality that it has to be real. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need to begin with this because it would be really dangerous if you tried to do the rest of what I say here this morning and you don't have this. It doesn't work. 
You have to be saved. You have to be born again. Jesus is the only way. And today, if you're not his, then today you need to have real life. Today you need to be saved. And we plead with you today to give your life to Jesus because we still have time. He hasn't come back yet. He's still giving space. Might happen soon. You should give your life today. Be real. Have this real relationship with Jesus. But if you have that real relationship with Jesus, now the call is to abide. How do you do that? How do you have an abiding relationship with Jesus? He tells us, hey, abide in the word. That's the point that he's given us. He says, if you'll do this, you'll have this abundant life. Go back and see it. Join me back there in verse 24. He says, therefore, let that abide in you. That is the truth that God's given us, the gospel, the, that which we're defending, that which the faith once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude said. Let that abide in you, which you've heard from the beginning. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. You want to do this? You want to have an abiding relationship with Jesus? You need this book. Like this will do, like you need to be in the Bible because this, this works that. That's one of the reasons we need that. Not just as a check mark, a religious check mark, I read my Bible, but God, I want a relationship with Jesus. I need to be in the word of God so my life is being changed and I'm being transformed and, and this is the tool which he's given. You need the Bible, but you need more. Not just do you have the Bible, but you need the work of the Spirit inside of you. That which he has given us. Go back and read it in verse 27. But the anointing, speaking of the work of the Spirit, which you have received from him abides in you. All Christians have the Spirit. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. He says, not only do you have the Word of God, you got the Spirit of God, and He'll help you. He'll guide your life. He'll protect you from that which would rob you of Christ and move away from that. You need this, and you need it daily. You need to be saying, okay, I need to be in the Bible daily, and I need the help of the Spirit, like, every day. Like, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to walk in you, because this is the only way that's going to happen. He says, if you'll do that, then you have this fruitful life. Then you have a life that is now being worked good so that when you stand before Jesus, you will be unashamed. Guys, that's what we're talking about. And that's what I'm appealing to you, to have a relationship with Jesus, this abundant, life-giving, real, abiding in Christ relationship that he's calling you to have. And I'm just telling you it's possible for every single person here. If you don't have a relationship, he would save you and we'd invite you to it now. If you're his, this is what he wants for you. He wants you to abide in Christ. He wants you to walk in the Spirit. He's inviting you to that. If that's not what your life looks like, it should. And you should say, okay, I want to pursue that. I want to start getting in the Bible. I'm going to start asking for the Holy Spirit's help because I need help to be rescued from things that would rob me. To live in this world in a way that would do this, that's what he's inviting to. He's telling us that is possible. But can I come back and say in the most simple sense, yes, all these are the ways that it happens. Yes, we need this real relationship through the Word and the Spirit, but in its most simple form, it's Jesus. It's abiding in Jesus. This is what you need. This is that which transforms. This is what the Christian life rightly lived looks like, and I'm just appealing to you, pleading with you, crying out to you, asking for you to hear my words and be drawn into this relationship to die, so that when Jesus comes back, you'll be confident and unashamed, which I desperately want for each of you. That's where we'll end this morning, so you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever it is you have open, and we're going to take just a few moments to pray. And you guys know perhaps how we do this on Sunday mornings, but let me just again appeal to you.
you know, here's what's going to happen. In a moment, we're going to close in song, and you're going to get up. And what will happen if you're not careful is immediately your brain is going to shift into other gears. You're going to begin to think about what you have to do the rest of the day or other places. But before we get there, we want to give you this space. We want to give you a space where we don't want you yet thinking about what's happening after this. We want this space right now to be a space where you're just going to take a moment and, and talk to Jesus about whatever he's talked to you about. Now, maybe this is the moment you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe it's that space that you just need to, to ask God to save you, and we'd long that you would do that. But maybe you're his, and, and, and you might just recognize, I have wasted enough time, too much time. And it might just be a space that you just need to talk to him about that, that you need to just talk to him about just wanting this thing that he's promising you, that God is seeking to work in your life. And I believe that he has been faithful this morning that in the midst of all that we've talked about, maybe there's something he's put his finger on and just kind of told you, like, hey, this is the problem, like right there. This, this is what's needing work in your life. And I want you to take a moment and talk to God about that. I really want you to kind of begin a conversation that we hope lasts past these few moments, but I want you to be able to grab that one thing that God is faithfully speaking into your life right now. So in this moment, again, it's a quiet moment, it's a moment where each of us is going to pray. So right now, I just want to invite you to take a moment, talk to God about what he's talked to you about. I'm going to do the same thing, and together we'll close in worship in just a moment. Jesus, you really are the only way. You're the way, you're the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God any other way. For these that don't know you, I cry out for life. You would tear down the walls that separate them from you. You would disarm, in that sense, just the lies of the enemy that holds these back. You bring them into a relationship with you, and that today they would be saved. God, rescue. Rescue those who are perishing right now. Jesus, you're coming back, and it might be so soon. These that are not ready at all, draw them to you today. I, I, I ask for that and just plead for that now. 
Lord, leaving them in your faithful care, I now pray for those of us who know you. And there are some that are just not doing really well. That if you came back today, they might be ashamed at how much of their life they're wasting. God, we recognize that day that we're going to stand before you, and that is not how I want to live my life. That is not the way we want to do it. God, I thank you that it's not what you want for us. God, I, I think about your work in us, that you're the one that tends this vine, that you lift up those who have no fruit, that you are working to take those who have fruit and prune and, and grow them so they have more fruit and then much fruit. Yes, Lord, do that in us. Where it's happening now, just continue that. Protect it from being stolen. Make us a fruitful people. Lord, just recognizing right now that to do that, it is a devastating reality of understanding we can't do anything without you. My sin is so ugly, permeates so much of what I am that without you, I can do nothing. On my own, everything I do is tainted. I acknowledge that. Ask your cleansing and forgiveness and then just recognize how desperately we need you. How much we need to do life every moment of every day with you. There's no other way for us to be the people we're supposed to be. There's none. Only in abiding with you can we be fruitful. And I long for that because not only is it life and it's life and it's good, but I long for it for that day that will stand before you. I long to have a confidence in that day, a joy of being able to offer to you something that's real, something that lasts, to be unashamed in that day. And I pray for that, Lord, because I want that. I want to live. I want to do those things which are real and eternal. And I pray that for each of us, that you just draw us to have a true life abiding in you. Teach us, Lord. Show us, grow us in an abiding relationship so that it is a life that we're seeking to do together with you. I ask that for me and for each of us now, and we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.